This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by MediaTek. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Friday, November 11th, 2022, and we're at the MediaTek Summit here in Sonoma. I'm with James Chen, who's the guru of all things Wi-Fi and 5G. Thank you, Miriam. Appreciate that. It's good to have you on the show again. Always good to be on your show. So, you know, uh, you announced a new chip for 5G, like a, essentially a modem subsystem, like more than a modem, right? Mm-hmm. The T800. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about that. But I also kind of want to get your feel for like where things are going with Wi-Fi 7. There's a demo here that I saw that is like, it's amazing. I mean, well, it's 13, 14 gigabits per second. That's like, right. First time ever, right? I know. I know. Yeah. So basically, I thought we'd cover some of that stuff because I think it's kind of amazing what, you know, this kind of duality of 5G and Wi-Fi 7 brings to the table, especially for home internet, which I think is kind of the unsung hero right now of 5G. Yes, absolutely agree. I I think uh, we're seeing the same thing. Yeah. 5G for home broadband really has taken off. I think by some estimates, people are saying in just a scant three years, about 20% of the population of households uh, population will actually have a 5G broadband connection to their home. I mean, that's, and we haven't seen these uptakes, you know, for a long, long time. So yeah, you're absolutely correct. I think 5G, this is one area where it really distances itself from 4G in terms of applications, right? Right. But, uh, I, think that's I think what's interesting to me is that for the first time, really, if you cannot get fiber to someone or our cable is kind of getting old now, but it keeps improving. Let's give it some, give it a chance. Mm-hmm. But you know, ultimately, you want you want something like fiber. You want to get to gigabit kind mm-hmm. of speeds, right? Mm-hmm. So, how do you get that in a home? Like right now, really, if you can't get fiber, you you might get cable, and it's not that great. Your DSL is not even in the picture. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's Starlink, but really, realistically, especially in an urban environment, five G is the solution, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, again, you know, once five G, I mean, we're still kind of nascent in this whole 5G thing. It doesn't seem like it is, but <laughs> it is, right? I mean, these yeah. networks take years and years, but, you know, their uh, 5G capabilities will, you know, get better and better as well, for example, the modems, mm-hmm. i.e. our chips, will support more advanced features to get the speed up to gigabit class. I think that's all there. Cool. I think this is just, it's just time. For sure. So what does T800 bring to the table that we didn't see in T700? Great question. So T800 is a thin modem. So it could be applied to like a PC, uh, to a car. Uh, it could be an industrial Internet of Things device, like a machine, if you want to connect right. a, a, a robot, for example, to 5G. So what it does is on speed, it, um, for sub-6, it's um, you know, almost 8 gigabits. So it's wow. almost double of what we did in T700. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also now on T800 support millimeter wave. Right, that's a huge deal. Right. I mean, for some applications. Some right? applications. Like, especially, well, North American carriers, some of them. For home internet, there is going to be some potential for millimeter wave, you know, maybe. Maybe. You mm-hmm. know, and then, of course, industrial application, I think, is, is a good example, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. as you said, the robots. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me. There wasn't a lot of emphasis in the summit about 
industrial 5G. Like I think it's something that, you know, obviously my audience is consumers, but mm -hmm. they're all a bunch of nerds, right guys? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're going to be interested in industrial 5G. The idea that yeah. a comp like a, a business doesn't have to constantly, if they want to rearrange their factory floor, doesn't have to rewire everything. Right, right? exactly. It's like their robot is 5G, the whatever else is 5G, the conveyor belt, all of that can just be moved around a little bit without having to rerun all the network connections mm -hmm. and know that it's going to be bulletproof. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, that solution probably would work mm -hmm. for that. Absolutely. Right? And then here in security of 5G networks, right? So, and it's dedicated uh, spectrum, not unlicensed spectrum. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of factors that would play into 5G uh, being a force in industrial applications. So so yeah, we didn't talk about it much at the summit, you're correct, but um, hey, that's why we keep having these things year after year. I know, I mean, I'm just bringing it up because I feel like it's kind of one of the things that people don't think about for 5G. I mean, they, they might think of V2V maybe, like vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle 5G, which you know, really doesn't quite exist yet, mm -hmm. it's been tested, but... But they might obviously think of home internet. They obviously think of their smartphones, of their you know laptops, mm -hmm. of their uh, you know any set top boxes mm -hmm. and, and hotspots they might have. But mm -hmm. they they don't really think of they don't. you know. You're and, right. You're and right. so I think the the interesting part is that this chip can kind of do it all in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, where do you think consumers are going to see this chip most likely? Um, I think in, in any uh, computing device. If, like uh, a laptop, for laptop, example? Laptop, uh, anything of that nature, I think. It, because it's a thin modem. Uh, it's a you know thin modem. Really, it's a it's a it's a advanced modem. Let's say so. It could be in laptops. Um, like I said, a variant of this could also be in a car. Okay, right? yeah, right. There's because that. I think five G, well, four G, well, actually three G, really made its inroads <laughs> into cars, and uh, you know four G now is in almost all the new vehicles, and I think it's just a matter of time before five G really. It's really been as a funny thing about it. Actually, you brought up cars. Is mm -hmm. you know most. People that have a car with 3G right now are kind of, you know, kind of SOL yeah, as it were. That's right. It's like, you know, so I'm I'm actually thinking 4G is not far behind in some ways because I know like T-Mobile's mm -hmm. already refarming 4G mm -hmm. for 5G. Mm -hmm. So you'd want a 5G. Like if you're a car maker today and you want to have a car that at least is, you know, usable in terms of telematics yeah. for five plus years, you probably want to start with 5G Absolutely. right now, right? Absolutely. Plus, so, you know, the automotive market, their product life cycles, development cycles are typically longer. So they have to think ahead and plan ahead. So you're right. All the stars are aligned for 5G, for really for automotive, right? So, okay. So consume, we talk about consumer tech. So laptops, automotive. Of course, then there is home internet CPEs, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... Do you see hotspot use as well potentially with this chip? Well, it, for home internet and and you know th you know hotspot or uh, things like that, it's the T eight thirty chip that we announced in right. August because they integrated the CPU just makes it a lot more compact and powerful platform. For thin modem, uh, you know you you don't. Yeah, it's just a thin. Yeah, model. you don't need to drive a display yeah. like you would on a hotspot exactly. maybe or or like you don't need to run a big software stack. That stack is run off the chip. For example, right. on cars on yeah, the CPU for system, sure. but there there will be uh, new applications for thin modems. For example, um, think about wearables. Right, right. Because oh, yeah. now you have wearable watches that are. Do you uh, see the TH hundred? You know? No, that's not for a watch. No, I, right? I think uh, for wearables, really, your your bandwidth requirement shouldn't shouldn't let's just say right now in twenty twenty two shouldn't be that high. So there's something called red cap that uh, the industry has standardized for reduced capability. So that oh, would be a more, yeah, in that cute? reduced capability. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. And uh, I think that would, we think that's the primary, primary, the standard for more wearables because it 
the um, the performance envelope profile fits that form factor a lot better. Is that like a subset of five G? Like kind of like yes. minimum case scenario mm -hmm. for power efficiency mm -hmm. and stuff. Like you on got this it, just yeah. like the name suggests, reduced capability. Cool. Actually, the you know I, I didn't I even like know that existed, yeah. James. Yeah. See, that's why that's why so we're on your on show. show. Exactly, red cap. Now your users know that red cap. Not what you wear on your head, but reduced capability. Red oh, cap. That's awesome. Cool. Um, so, okay, I think we've gone through almost all the scenarios that TH100 might be used in. Uh, and of course, you know, you had millimeter wave. The first device you had was the Dimensity 1050. Mm -hmm. And now you've got the Dimensity 9200, mm -hmm. which I'm going to talk with Finbar about. And you have the uh, TH100. So mm -hmm. that's actually, you know, you're kind of, it's kind of like growing. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, again, it's it's just weird to me that it's, I don't feel like it's necessary necessarily. Uh -huh. But mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, the this at least this market with one other carriers, it's a big deal. Yeah. And you kind of have to have it, even if you don't yeah. sell a device with it enabled, right? Like you can always not have that RF front end and not that part turned on. Mm -hmm. so, no. And you can then save some power. Right. No, right. you're right. You're right on all counts. But uh, yes, for certain markets, for that one right too, has a lot of millimeter. Yeah, there's some areas that are percolating up, but you're right. In the United States, it's really, you know, where, where the yeah. hotbed for millimeter wave is. So yeah, so we're... That shows our commitment, uh, not just to the technology, but also regionally, um, the markets that we want to serve. Fantastic. Let's jump into Wi-Fi 7 a little bit. I mean, you and I have covered this extensively on previous shows, but you have a demo here, which kind of blew my mind. I was seeing 14 gigabit speeds. I was seeing on the kind of lesser two antenna implementation up to about five and a half gigabits. And, you know, this is the first time we've really seen Wi-Fi 7 kind of shown. I mean, these are... You know, for the audience, I'll, I'll put up a photo maybe for the video version of this. Uh, the it's just like it's still like pre like prototype, like not prototype, but like not with not, nice plastic. It's not retail, yeah, right? Yeah, it does yeah. have the kind of yes. long antenna sticking yeah. out. But you know, I was talking to your team, and they're basically like hinted that CS might be where we see this mm -hmm, stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in consumer products, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that's kind of pretty exciting to yeah, me. Yeah, it's happening uh, really, really quickly. Um, so, just to give your users a little bit about what you saw is that what we are demonstrating is for the first time wireless, about fourteen gigabit backhaul, right? Uh, using MLO technology, right. which we previously covered, which is bonding of channels. Wi-Fi is, you know, taking the page out of, you know, cellular. <laughs> and then the second demo we got is a laptop with a embedded, uh, you know, client version of Wi-Fi 7 talking to an access point. And the speed's about five gigabit per second, right. like you say. So these are real speeds over the air. So at CES, we're going to demonstrate, you know, Wi-Fi 7 in actual end products. Okay. So a few phones, um, a few notebooks, uh -huh. and maybe some other devices. So like the end product on the client side, talking wirelessly uh, using Wi-Fi 7, of course, to access points and even a few repeaters. So really an end-to-end -end over the air Wi-Fi demo uh, with actual products that are either on the market or soon to be on the market. So that's really the exciting part. That, that's, that's very cool. I'm looking forward to it, honestly. I mean, to me, the way I look at this is, you know, right now, a lot of us who need you know, to just be on the internet can do it with Wi-Fi 6 or 6C and be perfectly happy for mm -hmm. most purposes, right? It's like we're using Wi-Fi as a way to get online. But if you start doing transfers of data between devices in your home, say, you know, you, you edit video and you're, mm -hmm. you know, you maybe right now it's all like you have a desktop computer or a laptop connected by Ethernet, maybe to a NAS, 
and you you really kind of need like a baseline of maybe gigabit or two gigabit or ten gigabit if you have ten gigabit on your devices. Yeah. Ten gigabit is probably rare these days for most, mm. even for us creators. But mm. say you have a one gigabit network, right? Like it's going to be pretty reliable over Ethernet. So now you can actually substitute Wi-Fi 7 for that. And that opens up a whole bunch of possibilities. That means that you can have a NAS in your office oh, yeah. um, that's your storage server for your video editing. Mm. And you can be with your Mac or whatever, PC, in the other room. Wherever you want to be. Seamlessly editing. And, to, you know, that's, that's a game changer. Yes. Because, I mean, it's not the 12 or 13 or 14 gigabits that are impressive to me. It's the fact that if I can get that fast, it means I can sustain probably 10, 9 gigabit if that's I right. need to. You like, got it. Like, without having to worry about anything. You got it. That's And that's what we're trying to get to, right? We want to unwire gigabit Ethernet. What used to be wire gigabit Ethernet connections to be wireless. And I think Wi-Fi 7 is probably the first wireless technology or Wi-Fi technology to really arrive that can do this right uh, never before so it'll be interesting you know stop on by show the demo <laughs> and we'll have some other stuff to show as well but definitely come on by it'll be a good time so do you think that we're going to start seeing products very like with a t800 in the next year or so that will obviously also integrate wi-fi 7 so could i potentially like let's imagine a year or two from now walk into t-mobile store and get a cpe a box for a home internet that has, you know, the latest T800 in it and has a Wi-Fi 7 modem chip of yours that is essentially a state-of-the-art home internet solution. I, I would say what we're really shooting for is, because you talk about the marriage of Wi-Fi 7 and the T800 series, right? For, for example, in the home. I think probably, yeah, you know, year or two, you know, the way that we're going right now, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, certainly, you know, we're going to try to make it happen as fast as we can. Uh, we really believe in 5G for the masses for broadband because, like I showed, you know, at the summit here, I mean, there's still a about quarter or so of American households who don't have broadband, and yeah, that cannot. That be. was amazing, that and you know, be. not even that. Like for those of us who do have broadband, like in my place in San Francisco, you'd think San Francisco, the tech mecca, we've had broadband internet for years. You'd think almost anybody could get fiber. That is not the case. Yes. I don't live in a particularly odd neighborhood, but I cannot get fiber where I am. I can get very, very decent cable, mm -hmm. but it's not remotely close to gigabit. Exactly. And, and it's interesting because I think you and I talked about this on a previous episode, but I tried the T-Mobile solution, mm -hmm. that's a MediaTek yeah, yeah. solution, for a few weeks this past summer, and I was getting a consistent 600 megabits on just like, you know, by the window. Yeah. And, you know... It not only was it, you know, so really effectively maybe 400 megabits, but it was amazing because it was so reliable. That's the thing that really like kind of got me on board because I was to my, in my head, you know, I'm thinking I put my phone by a window when I'm at a hotel and I got hotspot and it's workable, but it's not the most, it's, it's, it's inconsistent. There's slowdowns, there's speed sure. ups, yeah, it's a little yeah. over the place. And now it's not a dedicated device, but at the same time, I'm thinking to myself like, you know, there's got to be more going on. And, and you, talk, you and I talked about this. Yes. The carriers are working oh, yeah. to kind of allocate, like they're making, they're, they're making these connections more stable yes. on purpose. And I think that really pays off because yes. I was really impressed. Like I could have totally lived with it. The only kind of uh, limiting factor for me was the upload. Yes. It wasn't quite as good yes. as the case. My, I'm actually, ironic me, 
my current connection with cable is lower on the download than the T-Mobile was, really? but it's higher on the upload. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. it's by a little bit, yeah, but yeah. you know. But it shows um, you how far we've come in 5G, right? We, it's just yeah. miles and miles, and yeah. it's only going to get better. And so that's why we're so gung-ho about this. And yeah, the future is very bright for 5G and all these applications we talked about. And then you layer in Wi-Fi 7. Yeah, and that's kind of yeah. what I think is going to be really awesome is because, you know, the reality is this, right? Like my audience is going to go buy a, a router, right? And, you know, probably get a fiber connection if they can. Mm -hmm. And they're just going to be happy with that and going to manage their own network. But the reality is most people, right? Mm -hmm. The same people who buy TVs with your chipset yes, and yes. Alexas with your chipset right. or rather e Echoes or whatever are just buying these products and they just want it to work. Yes. And so they, if they get a CPE from a carrier, put it in, get 5G at home, internet, and now they have Wi-Fi 7 on that, this is the most important device in the chain, yes. right? For yes. them, yes. this is... This is what needs to be future-proof right. for a few years. That's right. So if they start out with a system that has Wi-Fi 7, it's gonna, you know, even if all their devices are Wi-Fi 6, not even 6E, mm -hmm. at first, mm -hmm. eventually somebody's going to buy a phone in the house yeah, that has Wi-Fi 7 yeah. or a laptop yeah. or whatever it might right. be, Chromebook, yeah. you know. And a 7 is a more lucky number than 6. <laughs> <laughs> Add that to the note. Check. <laughs> <laughs> so good, James. Uh, well, guys, I think we should end on that note. That's kind of perfect. Well, thanks so much for the overview on T800, all the new 5G stuff and the Wi-Fi 7 demo and stuff. Folks, stay tuned. We have the rest of the show with my guests. We're going to talk about the news and reviews of the week. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, segment. Thanks, James, so much for being my Thank guest. Thank you, as, as always. Always, always nice and, to be on your show. And uh, stay tuned for more, folks. It's November 24th today, and I have Don Preston on for the rest of the show, folks. And uh, we're going to talk about the news of the week and a bunch of devices that were announced. Hey, Dom, how are you? I'm really good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm pretty great. So that MediaTek stuff was pretty interesting, eh? Yeah, I mean, you know, any excuse to spend 10 or 15 minutes deep diving into chips, I'm, I'm there. I figured you would be. So, <laughs> hey, so let's talk about some of the phones this week, because it's been a busy week. Like we're back to kind of like this, the kind of the TikTok cycle in a way, because I feel like, uh -huh. you know, we've had that crazy Techtober November that we always have, right? But then, mm -hmm. haha, then we jump into that weird period of time after Qualcomm announces their chip, where all the Chinese phone makers are trying to compete with who's going to come out with the next phone before everyone else, right? What what used to be a nice quiet Christmas lull and is now this like frantic mess of Chinese OEMs trying to one up each other and be the first to market with this chip and that feature and yeah, uh, it's a bit of an onslaught. Especially this week when it's Black Friday as well, so I've been very busy doing that side of the job, and uh, then all of a sudden oh, yeah. you've got what three major phone announcements over three days. For sure, yeah. So you know that's kind of what happened this week. Is I mean we didn't all get Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 phones. We did get one, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, a pretty significant one. And we did get a bunch of other phones from China, or at least, you know, some of them are global, but mm -hmm. mostly, you know, we can tell this is a China-driven thing. So I wanted to go through those. And then, of course, there's some pretty interesting leaks and rumors. Usually, I'm not huge on leaks and rumors, but this week I was like, oh, I need to touch on these. <laughs> so, um, and I think you'll find them pretty interesting too, um, you, you folks listening right now. So let's start with the first phone, which I think is really exciting because I've always been a big fan. It's the Vivo X series. 
specifically the X90 Pro Plus, which is the first Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 2 phone. You know what? I did not expect that Vivo would be the first. Did you? I didn't before the summit, and then I'd been going around quietly telling people, I think Vivo might be the first ones with this chip. <laughs> so you knew, okay. Because I, I did a, basically, Vivo confirmed they were going to be the first with the Dimensity 9200, so we knew that. And right. then no one had that video at the Snapdragon Summit saying that they were going to be the first with the Qualcomm chip. And I thought the only reason no one's saying it is because the one company that could say it has already said the same thing about MediaTek and they can't do both. And lo and behold, <laughs> here we are, and uh, Vivo managed to get both chips out the gate before anyone else. So yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little smug this week. That's pretty surprising, though. I don't ever remember Vivo being so gung-ho about hitting the chips soon and there like that, especially on both no. sides, like both Qualcomm and MediaTek. And usually it's Xiaomi, right? Like especially on Qualcomm's side, it's Xiaomi. Yeah, I think it was maybe Motorola last year, but before that, always Xiaomi, and, and Xiaomi were one of the first last year still. They, they are the traditional first one out of the gate with the new Snapdragon chip. So I'm, I'm surprised we haven't heard more from them yet, but I guess that's coming soon. I think there's rumors of the December 1st launch of the Xiaomi 13. Yeah, so I feel like that's going to happen. I, I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, it's they don't want to delay much longer. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get a Motophone as well sometime really yeah. soon. And I China. think they've already, yeah, Motorola have already teased uh, some HN2 benchmarks on, on Weibo. Ooh. So they're kind of beginning to hint at something coming. But yeah. That's kind of hilarious, honestly. Like, Come on, guys! Like just dropped an Antutu score, and <laughs> that is just such a that is just such a nerd thing to do. Oh man! Um, so, what's your take on the X ninety Pro Plus? I mean, I'm a huge fan of the X series from Vivo because photography yep. is a big part of what I love to do with my phones, and the Vivos have always been like since the X fifty Pro, which is when I started kind of my journey with the flagships from Vivo. It's been just phenomenal all the way around i have the x80 pro plus is that a thing yeah there no, wasn't pro. a plus of the x80 that was, yeah, a it pro. was just the pro so i have that one and it's fantastic and this looks like a beast we got the imx 989 on there the one inch sensor that debuted on uh xiaomi's 12s ultra which yeah. had an exclusive on i guess for six months or something yeah it must have been a timed exclusive but now we're, we're beginning to see that roll out a little bit elsewhere. I mean, I'm with you. I'm super excited. I, I have kind of a similar journey with Vivo. I started with the X50 Pro, or Pro Plus, I guess, um, and have reviewed most of their flagships ever since then. I have been singing their praises for a long time and always feeling like I was there quite being like, come on, these these cameras are amazing. And, and a lot of people, you know, it's hard to break through the noise of Pixel is the best or whatever top tier Galaxy flagship is, is the best that year. But I think... The last couple of years, it's been hard to argue that Vivo is at least in the conversation about the best the best camera in any phone. Um, I love the X80 Pro as well. For me, going to the Snapdragon Summit in, in Hawaii, I sort of thought, well, I want to take the phone with the best camera to have with me for that trip. And it was the X80 Pro that I grabbed. That was the one I thought, I want that with me while I'm there for a week or two. So I'm very ready for the next the next step up from here. Yeah, for me, it's always one of the top five camera phones of the year. Like, you know, there's always Samsung, Apple, and Google, of course. Mm -hmm. And then it's always, you know, 
Xiaomi with the Ultra lately or mm -hmm. the X series from Vivo. There's also Huawei with the P series that are still really incredibly good, even though it's a little harder for me to justify because I live in Google land. But, you know, for some people it might work. You're, you're based, of course, in the UK. So, like, is it sold, the X series from Vivo there? Is it officially available? Sometimes they're sporadic. The X80 Pro is... Um, I think one of the 70s, but then they missed the 60 gen. Um, so I think they're trying to do one one phone in, in the UK and Europe every year now in, in the flagship series. But say, there's obviously in this Chinese launch, there's an X90, an X90 Pro, and an X90 Pro Plus. I would That's guess right. one of them will come to Europe. Probably, probably the standard not. Pro yeah. would be my guess. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping to get my hands on the Pro Plus. I mean, I'm sure Vivo yeah. will hook me up. They're generally pretty good, even if it's just a China-only phone, because, mm -hmm. man, that thing is a beast. Did you see the specs on that thing? The camera system is just blowing my mind. Let's go through that real quick. I mean, oh, so IMX 989 of kind of the star of the show here, but they paired yeah. it with a faster lens than Xiaomi did, which is really interesting. Yeah, that surprised me. That's uh, I'm going to be really curious to see how that compares to the Xiaomi. Yeah, I'm not sure how they managed to do that, honestly. That's uh, quite the <laughs> lens. F over 1.75 versus F over 1.9. Uh, and then, of course, it looks like a glass lens with T-star coating, Leica's help here. And that's been a big deal because low-light photography on the X-Series, I think, on the main sensor is the best of anything, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, especially like, for the dynamic range they, they managed to do at low light, the way it handles light sources and low light shots and things like that. Is yeah, so I think that's, that's where we're going to see a continuation of what we saw there. Mm -hmm. Then we are getting, um, you know, a, let's see, a 64 megapixel uh, telephoto, and it's got a 3.5x optical zoom. Is it a folded lens? Do we know? Or is it a regular lens? Oh, I'm not sure actually. I didn't manage to pick pick that detail out of uh, out of the announcement. I mean, either way, we're getting a, a single telephoto here that is definitely an improvement over the typical little eight megapixel telephotos they've been putting on the X series. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Even if you like the the, the two telephotos do feel like the or the you know the telephoto and the portrait lens as they like to call them. Right, right. That in a way, almost feels like a bigger jump than the IMX. 989 just on a pure specs basis like the, the resolution jump they've gone gone up in here the lens speed kind of things like that the big changes in the telephoto system yeah you now could technically get 7x zoom by picking the 16 megapixel center of the sensor exactly you know um so that's a pretty pretty big native zoom and then the other thing is i love their portrait lens every time you know um mm -hmm. It's interesting, though, that it's fixed focus. I'm wondering if that's a typo. That seems odd that they would put effort into a 50 megapixel sensor, you know, portrait lens, but not put autofocus on it, but then still have OIS on it because apparently all three of those cameras have OIS. So I think that's a typo. There's no way that's a fixed focus lens. I, I had the same thought. I don't understand that. If they have done that, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, especially with throwing the OIS on it. Not having all I can think hard. of is that they made they might have done it on purpose to force you to do portraits, 
And because potentially with mm -hmm. a 50 megapixel sensor, the depth of field is so shallow on this fixed focus lens that you will kind of in the viewfinder see, you know, like pick the right distance because maybe they'll even help you with some, you know, uh, the, the, the focus highlights or whatever. That mm -hmm. would be really cool, actually, that you do the manual focus in a way by like <laughs> just they, moving, they kind of they kind yourself. of force you to yeah. to get it to nail it basically and you can decide which plane you want the nose yeah. the mouth the eyes the ears right um i mean we're nerding out here because you and i are both camera nerds but it's it's kind of intriguing to me if it's fixed focus but i would prefer autofocus just simply because most people are not going to be able to handle that <laughs> right no i mean it like you, you know the way you describe it there it could be a fun limitation to work around but most people don't want limitations to work around in their phone right they wanted to just do the things they expected to do and 100 percent yeah and then of course we have an ultra wide 114 degree field of view that's okay uh 48 megapixel yeah you know yeah i think this is either the same ultra wide as the x80 pro or very similar. On paper, I can't pull them apart. Yeah. So I don't think they've changed a lot there. Yeah. And then, of course, a 32 megapixel selfie cam, but because it's in a punch hole or hole punch, it's f over 2.45, yeah. like always. And uh, that's not a very <laughs> fast lens. I would much yeah. rather see them do an f over 1.8, 12 megapixel, 1.2 micron pixels with mm -hmm. autofocus and OIS on the front camera. Like, remember when HTC put OIS on their front face camera, like how much of a mm -hmm. game changer that was? You could literally selfie vlog by like just walking around the street. I think uh, Vivo did it for one phone as well. I think one of the um, the V uh, V21 maybe, suddenly had, they, they've always had that selfie camera focus on, on that series. And I'm pretty sure one of them had OIS on the front lens. And I remember thinking it was incredible. And then they dropped it from the next generation. And I was always, <laughs> why have you why have you taken that away? That was a, an excellent introduction. Yeah, I'm off a big fan of having autofocus at least and maybe even some mm -hmm. sort of stabilization that isn't digital on the front lens. But nobody seems to be caring. It's so unfortunate. But at, at the same time, folding phones are going to kind of solve that in a way, I think, by letting you use the rear cameras to take photos of yourself, which is always going to be better anyway. That's true. But um, what else stood out for you? I mean, obviously, Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, there's tons of RAM and storage. There's wireless and wired charging at high speed, 80 watt and 50 watt, respectively. That mm -hmm. doesn't seem like huge, but honestly, anything above 66 watts, I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's one of the oddities in this range that actually, if you drop down to the other two phones, they have faster charging. You get charging. faster charging. <laughs> what They're is it, 120? Watts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm with you. I think 80 or above, it, it doesn't make that much of a difference at that point. It's it's very fast. <laughs> You're not going to So you know what's, what's interesting to me about this phone, though, is that they have their own Vivo V2 ISP, right? The next mm -hmm. generation of the ISP they had on the um, X80. And... After all the ISP improvements we were drilled into our heads at Qualcomm <laughs> Snapdragon Summit last week, uh -huh. I feel like, like, why, you know, why are they completely not using that now? Like, how do you feel about that? Like, it, Qualcomm must be feeling a little weird about this one being the first, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one for Qualcomm because they obviously don't get any of their big camera enhancements shown off on stage or anything like that. 
Um, I remember talking to someone at Qualcomm at Summit about this in, in a roundtable or something, or someone asked how they feel about how many OEMs just going to throw their own, their own ISP in, in any way. I think it was Judd Heap, Qualcomm's camera guy. And yeah, they, they clearly have mixed feelings about that and see it as a, a challenge, I guess, that they need to up their own game to make OEMs feel like they don't need to throw in their own ISPs and add their own stuff on top. I think it's tricky. If, not, if nothing else, as a consumer, right, you look at this and you don't even know when you're, if you're paying attention to what Qualcomm are announcing, you don't know what that stuff you're going to get in one of these phones now, which things Vivo has done for themselves. And unless you're really willing to start following every announcement live stream and, and digging deep into V2 ISP spec sheets, like, how, how can you tell? I agree. Most people are not going to notice or care, but we're going to care because we know, <laughs> like, you know what Mary Silicon X did for the Oppo Find yeah. X5 Pro, and we know what it's the, that V1 whatever chip did for the X80, and we're paying attention to that. And honestly, more and more, I feel like this is proof that if Google really wanted to, they could make a Snapdragon-equipped Pixel mm. with their own Tensor ISP or Tensor NPU sure. only. Kind of that would be my ideal scenario, or even a Dimensity <laughs> ninety two hundred, because I still feel that they're being held back by the Exynos architecture, to some extent, right? Like I understand now they're really in bed with Samsung because they're it's the whole thing now. There's not even an IMX sensor, you know, uh, like they used to be on the telephoto on the Seven Pro, right? It's yep. it's all Samsung sensors on the Pixel and it's all Samsung display and it's all Samsung processor and probably memory chips and everything else. Good for them, but I kind of still feel that we would all have a better Pixel experience, especially in battery life and thermal performance if we had a some sort of MediaTek or Qualcomm chip in there assisted by a Tensor chip uh, yeah. MPU from Google, right? Well, I mean, even even Samsung would pro probably admit that off the record in that they're moving so far away from Exynos <laughs> on their own phones, right? You know, we now yeah. know Qualcomm has a pretty much exclusive S23, you know, uh, provision of chips. So, yeah, it's clearly the thing holding the tensor back from at least a kind of core performance and battery life side. But for sure, it's hard to see that changing anytime in the next year or two. And 100%. And, you know, in terms of display, of course, you're getting a 1440 uh, pixel display with, uh, you know, LTPO4. It's like mm -hmm. definitely top of the line display. 1800 nits peak, which is going to be amazing in California. And <laughs> honestly, I love the industrial design of this phone with that little bar at the bottom. It's they're kind of growing into it, their design language. You know, it's evolved. I do. I like the bar a lot. I also like that they have tidied up the camera module because one of my big pet peeves about the x80 pro is it has it's a little much that same big circular camera but then for some reason the periscope sits outside it just below it as this yeah. extra bit and they've actually now built all of it into the one big ring which makes a lot more sense and it's a much cleaner design on the back now i do wish they weren't that both versions weren't leather finish i'm not a huge fan of a the faux leather finish on the rear of the phone and i, I can live with both it. the red and black one here are leather which it's i don't hate it but i don't love it would you want a ceramic back instead oh i'd love a ceramic back mm -hmm. or even just the kind of matte kind of slightly frosted ag glass that they yeah, they do yeah. On, on the x80 pro or something you know 
And then do we know pricing yet on these? I'm trying to figure that out right now. Um, they did announce pricing for China. Um, 6,999 uh, Chinese one. Yeah. Yeah. Six and a half thousand for the, the cheaper spec. So I think that's, that's about, about $900. Yeah, $1,000 roughly, yeah. yeah. That's actually a pretty competitive price because you know that's a China-only price. You know that if it comes it to the West, like it'll, be, it'll be 1200 yeah. bucks. Exactly. And honestly, it deserves it. It has everything but the kitchen sink. I mean, like, you you know, this is what I love about BBK Group. And, you know, I, I kind of including Vivo in this here, of course. Is, yeah. Is that they just don't mess about. Like when they, when they go premium, they go premium. They don't care how much it costs. Whereas I kind of always feel like Samsung has to be mindful of the fact that their flagship is so popular in the West that they have to come mm -hmm. out with a price that's reasonable for the West. Whereas mm -hmm. in China, they're like, eh, whatever. It's like the Xiaomi 12S Ultra. It's like, oh, 1500? We don't care. Yeah, yeah go nuts, <laughs> you know? I mean, I kind of love that. I feel like... I'm sorry, but there is room for ultra premium phones. I don't care what people oh, say, like, yeah. you know, and I want that. And at that point, like, that's where I expect no limits. Like, you know, put everything you can in there. Just give me the whole shebang. So, and I'd, I'd rather if brands know there's a space for ultra premium models, that they're putting that effort into throwing better specs into those phones rather than just sort of what we used to get more of, which is extra blingy designs and Porsche partnerships or whatever that bump the price up for the, for the top <laughs> oh, 10, yeah. you know. Hello there, Huawei. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, although the Porsche design phones have been pretty interesting. I mean, overpriced, uh, yeah, but pretty interesting. You know, I don't dislike yeah. them, but I'd rather have all that effort get yeah. put into making the camera yeah. even better and that kind of thing. And, and like you said, this is a spec sheet where you look at and it's it's almost difficult to see where you could even improve things i guess you could turn the 12 gig of ram into 16 you could do a terabyte storage model other than that there's, there's just not a lot of room above this right now yeah for sure you know it's interesting to me like i'd love to hear your, your take on this because it feels to me like vivo is even more premium than oppo now like i, I just feel mm -hmm. like bpk group has this identity crisis going on right now um, more than ever. I mean, Oppo is always kind of being pretty awesome, in my opinion. But then there's this blurring happening now with Realme and OnePlus, where they're all kind of, you know, identical rebranded parts bin phones from these pretty yeah. exciting parts bin, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to say no to an IMX 766 with OIS on a $300 phone like the Realme 9 pro plus for example that sure. was pretty dope but but my point is it's like i feel like i get all these phones right and i feel like i'm like somebody's messing with my brain here these are all variations on the same thing and you get that with xiaomi and redmi and poco as well but i feel that the only one really standing out is is in that entire bbk group is vivo with of course eq or whatever you want to call that as a kind of a spin-off mm -hmm. it, it just seems like they're doing a better job and also, they, they're not really under the Oppo, you know, parts spin. Like, there's a little bit, like, the displays and some things are clearly, like, shared, but they seem to be creating their own universe a little more. And I really like that. Yeah. Well, I still have their own R&D pipeline, which the other, you know, the Oppo, Realme, OnePlus family all share one R&D set, which is Oppo's. Vivo still has its own R&D, so I'm sure there's some bits that get shared with the rest of BBK, but they do have their own 
as you say, their own their own their own route that they're they're finding their stuff. But you're totally right. I mean, if you look at say the the Oppo Find X5 Pro, the the one from February this year, it's a great phone. I really like that phone. It doesn't have that feeling that this Vivo has, where every single part of the phone is the top of the line. If anything, my take on that phone at the time was this is a kind of premium all-rounder. It wasn't the best around at any given thing, but it, it did everything pretty well for a flagship. But there was, you know, you could always take any of those individual cameras or whatever and say, oh, well, there's some phone out there that does that better. You look at the Vivo X90 Pro Plus, and it's much harder to find those spots where you say, oh, this is the weakness of this phone. Someone else does that better than this Vivo does. I think Oppo is, um, yeah, a bit less inclined to chase that absolute top, 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 top spec model. Like I kind of felt there was a time when it was a bit blurry, like around the time of the X50 Pro, you know, and the Oppo Find X2 Pro. Remember that mm-hmm. Find X2 Pro with that with that folded lens? It was really kind of, like it was really premium and really kind of moving in that direction where Vivo was mm-hmm. moving. And then it stopped. Like, don't get me wrong, the Find X3 Pro was a really great phone and I love the ceramic back and the way it was one piece and like it's very mm-hmm. premium and luxurious but you look at the spec sheet and that's where you could see they were starting to hold back right a 2x telephoto with no OIS like who does that and then they mm-hmm. repeated that on the Find X5 Pro and it doesn't leave me very confident about the Find X6 Pro which we have some you know rumors we're going to talk about later but it's like I don't know I kind of feel like Vivo is the the most premium that BBK Group has to offer. But I'm also worried in the back of my head that they're going to merge them into each other at some point. You know, that that Oppo mm-hmm. is going to become the, the parent because, you know, that's kind of where Pete Lau seems to be going with everything. I kind of feel like he's ruined OnePlus, you know, to some extent. Like, I'm exaggerating a little bit because, you know, OnePlus still produces geographically meaningful phones. Uh, especially sure. here in the US, but it's not at the high end. Like the, you know, the OnePlus 10 Pro and the 10T are good phones for the money, but they don't really kind of break into this Apple Samsung dichotomy that we have here in North America because they're not the best value and not the best bang for your buck in a way, mm-hmm. even though I, I like a lot about these phones. But if you look at the N series we have here, the Nord N, which is N for North America, for the kind of prices you expect at the budget mid-range level for prepaid in North America, they're killing it. In fact, they're, I think, kind of stealing Moto's lunch in many ways. Oh, for sure. You, you yeah. know? And and is that what I want from OnePlus? Not really myself. <laughs> but at the same time, I admire that they're able to use their might and flex their muscle of part spinning to give us phones that are very competitive in this market like mm-hmm. they do in India and like they do with the CEs, which are Communauté Européenne, I like to call them the European <laughs> Nords that are not the pure Nords because it's complicated. Now you have the pure Nords and then you have the Nord CE and then you have the Nord N. Oh man, this is what I'm talking about. He's completely diluted the brand and then he's not able, and I, I mean Pete, Lau, not able to make a flagship that's really worth it. Uh, it's no better than what Oppo is doing and I feel that especially the OnePlus brand is kind of the Oppo brand for North America in yeah. some in some ways. Like I mean it's obviously exists in India and in China and in Europe too, but I feel like Oppo and Realme have a better footing those in those markets and I want them to take OnePlus and really give us the kind of phones we want here. I'll give you an example. 
Give us a flagship that only has two lenses in the back. You know, if you want to make a premium mid-ranger, give us a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 with that 989, right? Uh, as a main sensor, and then give us a 766 as an ultrawide like you did on the OnePlus 9 Pro, and then make that the phone. And then don't give us the telephoto, but don't give us some two megapixel sticker cam. Like, just make a phone for what this market expects. When they see an iPhone, they see two lenses on the base iPhone. Mm -hmm. When they see, you know, the base 14. It, it, you know, when you see a, a Samsung Galaxy that doesn't have a telephoto, well, it does it doesn't have an extra two megapixel whatever sensor. Like that's my point. Like, give us like I, I kind of think nothing nailed it. If you remove all the glyph and all the gimmicks, they made this super balanced mid-ranger that had that hits all the right spots at an incredible price. Bring the price up a bit, put a Snapdragon 8 series in there or Dimensity 9000 series in there, and come out of you know, hit it out the park for this market. But I think that they are so driven by what the carriers want that it's never going to happen. But they have an opportunity that they're missing out on. And when I see what Vivo can do, I'm like, man, OnePlus could do so much better. So I don't know. How is it for you guys in the UK? I mean, it's definitely different with OnePlus here. We, as, I mean, you listed the mess of phones that are out here where we've got the Nord and the Nord CE, and then these other, we do get some of the N-numbered variants that come out in the US, but a different set of them. And, you know, even if you just are looking at the cheaper phones, there's a huge range of them to pick from. Um, I, I do think, you know, you mentioned the Nothing phone as a, as a point of reference, right? But say the OnePlus Nord 2T is this pretty similar phone to the Nothing. On, in a lot of specs. Correct. And I think exactly. they did a really good job with the 2T. And I, I really like that phone. And as you were going through it, I was just thinking, yeah, like you said with nothing, if they could take the Nord 2T and just up the chipset, you know, upgrade one of the camera lenses, you'd have an amazing phone that could sit at one or 200 euros more expensive than it currently is. And I think do really, really well. And the problem they have now, especially with their current flagship strategy, is they do just have this gulf where they've got great phones that go up for the, a few hundred. And then goes straight up to these top tier flagships that they're doing where they're not the best at that. And they've completely lost the whole segment they made their name in, which is the flagship killer or, you know, affordable premium or whatever you 100%. want to call it. And yep. that was exactly what made OnePlus what it is. And weirdly now, if you look at the lineup, it's the only bit of the market they're ignoring basically. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel the same. And and I've always loved the 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 real Nord, as I like to call it, you know, Nord, Nord 2, Nord 2T. But it's like it's unobtainium in this market, you know. Uh, yep. Like it's probably easier to import a a nothing phone one at this point than it is to import a Nord two T. And <laughs> and I have had all the Nord, the real Nords, except for the two T. I've got the regular and the two, and I love them. But it it's like there is very little room in this market for mid range, even though you know these phones on paper are fantastic. It's such a dichotomy between like budget phones here or like whatever you want to call them like $200 phones and then the the flagships that the the carriers are basically just you know giving you a flagship for free as part of some kind of deal and you go with that and then trading deals make that also difficult that $500 mid-range chipset phone like the mm -hmm. Nord 2T so i think for north america i'd rather do what you suggest take the Nord 2T you know, add an 8 Gen 2 to it, 
just keep everything the same. And now you have a phone that clearly is going to be competitive, but also is going to be probably a little more affordable than a Samsung or iPhone. And you can probably get the carriers on board in North America, but somehow they're not going in that direction at all. They still want to make a premium flagship. We're going to talk about the rumors on that as well. And that's great. I'm on board, but like it has to be at least as good as an S22 Ultra if you're going to go that route. Like to me, exactly. that's... Like for this market, if you want to sell a OnePlus 11 of any kind, especially 11 Pro, we start needing to go up there to, you know, Find X6 Pro, Vivo X series levels of quality and performance and spec and keep it at $1,000. And I'm not sure they're going there. I'm not sure they're interested in doing that at all, actually, you know? So I don't know. It's a little disappointing to see. You know, I kind of always thought that Xiaomi's strategy with Redmi and Poco kind of worked because different geographical area gets slightly different versions of the part spin and everybody seems pretty happy. And then they still keep Xiaomi the main brand as the, like the real top of the line. Yeah. But it's so much more blurred with BBK. And then there's confusion because of this whole Vivo universe of theirs, which is phenomenal. <laughs> Please don't change it. But at the same time, I'm like, where's your brand identity, BBK group? Like... You know, it seems like basically Apple and then Vivo. And then honestly, if I had to pick one of my favorite brands about all this, it's Realme because like they're the new OnePlus, you know? Yeah. They make such great phones for the money. What, what's the strange thing with the, with the Oppo OnePlus Realme structure is at the time they brought OnePlus fully back into the fold, everyone said, well, maybe they're going to do Realme for the cheap phones, OnePlus for the kind of mid-tier Oppo for the flagships and have this structure that aligns those brands in those spaces. And that would make some sense if you kind of just went down them like that. And that's a little bit like what Xiaomi does with kind of, a, you could almost line up Xiaomi, Poco, uh, Redmi in that kind of ranking as well. But they're just not doing it. You know, OnePlus and Oppo are duking it out with each other at the, the super premium end for no obvious reason. And then OnePlus is also competing with Realme at the cheap end in, in markets outside the US. And it's then the only phones they've got in that upper mid range, which we'll talk about later, the the Reno Nine, you know, the Reno series, and then they don't even release them everywhere anyway. So the whole structure is <laughs> confusing to me. Let's actually jump into the Reno Nine. I've got the Honor Magic foldable phone here. We'll talk about that as well. But since we're talking right. BBK Group, we might as well um, roll on. So the Reno Nine has been announced finally. We've got some specs here. Uh, I think it's China only for now. Yeah. Of course, I'm expecting one of them to come out as a global phone. I think the 8... It's funny that the 8 Pro, the <laughs> Reno 8 Pro just came out as a global phone. Like, what was it? Three months ago or something? Yeah, not long. <laughs> I have yeah. one. It's great. I love it. But the only thing that bummed me out on the 8 Pro was that it didn't have OIS on, the, on that IMX 766. But everything else about it, I really loved. I thought it was a really beautiful phone. I don't understand the... the how Vivo with the X-Series and Oppo with the Reno particularly is able to literally come out with a new phone line every three months. It's like, we got the seven earlier this year and then the eight, and then we're getting mm -hmm. the nine. And it's that's 2022, guys. Like, how do you do this? It is strange. They were on six-month cycles, and then those six months just seemed to keep contracting and becoming four or five months, and everything's smushing together. I mean, it gets thrown off because you get the Chinese launch and then the global launch comes right. two or three months after that, and it, you begin to lose sense of which one's launched when and where. But uh, yeah, the, the pace is a little alarming, for sure. 
So it looks like both phones have a 6.7 inch display, which, you know, AMOLED 120 Hz, you expect that at that price point. I'm kind of glad that Oppo's gone back to making these phones a little more premium looking and feeling. Yes. Because for a while there, they were a little plasticky. They looked cool, but they were ugh, a little a little off in my opinion. But hopefully these are continuing in that direction. I mean, these look a lot like the 8 series, so I'm kind of reassured in that. Yeah. Right. And so we're getting a 778G Snapdragon chip on the 9 and an 8100 Dimensity chip on the Dimensity Max, 8100 Max, on uh, yep. the Pro with Mary Silicon X. So that's actually an upgrade because the original had Mary Silicon non-X, the 8 Ooh, Pro. Oh, you might be right. Yeah, I can't because remember exactly. Because I, I didn't know this, but that had been pointed out to me by, I think it was Hadley, um, over at Android Authority, so took yeah. me aside. He said, "You know, it's actually a slightly different Merrill Silicon on the on the Reno Eight Pro." I was like, "Really? I thought it was the same." He's like, "No, there's no X." I'm like, "Oh, so I guess this is the X now." And uh, we get lots of storage and RAM, which is you know these phones are kind of premium mid rangers, so yeah. that makes sense. There's also the Pro, the Pro Plus model, uh, which sits at the top, and that has a Eight Plus Gen One. Oh, okay. I missed that one somehow. Okay, 8 Plus Gen 1. That's actually pretty good because that's a great yeah. chip. Um, I'm kind of surprised they've gone that powerful on even for the Pro Plus model. It's a very So for the, the 9 and 9 Pro, we have a 64 megapixel main and a 50 megapixel main. No word of OIS on these. Do you know about the 9 Pro Plus, what it packs? I don't have that in front of me. Also a 50 megapixel main. I'm guessing it's the same as the Pro, but I'm not sure. Uh, this one does have OIS though. Yeah, it's plus. probably stabilized because there's a plus. It's a plus yeah. model. That's the one to get, folks. Honestly, I mean, mm -hmm. interesting because that that's almost stepping on the Oppo Find X5 Pro. Think about it. That's going to be a better phone than Find X5 Pro because of the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. Yeah, it's got wow. worse secondary lenses, but okay, the main but lens, whatever. Yeah. You know, for your main camera, yeah, it's going to be really great. I mean, honestly, other than the ultra wide that was really nice on the Fine X5 Pro, the telephoto was. That's true. Yeah. It was helped by the Mariscal Connects and the ability to fuse data, right? So we'd, we'd take mm -hmm. the data from the main sensor and the telephoto to improve it. But I'm on board. These look nice. The design is a little bit less, looks a little bit less premium than last time, though. Doesn't quite have that that camera bump it like doesn't look like it's raised as much which i no, thought was cool i had the same thought it looks a lot maybe probably purposefully more more svelte more sleek but it does lose something maybe a little in in, in not being as prominent yeah and a 4500 milliamp hour battery with 67 watt what's the pro plus do for power 4700 so a little bigger battery and 80 watt wire charging nice is it have the same display as the other two Good question. I actually think... Different size, maybe? It's a 6.7 AMOLED, but it's curved on the Pro Plus. Oh, it's curved. On, and the other ones have slab-sided phones. Okay. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, there you go, folks. We had to go over that real quick. Um, so now let's jump into the honor as well, because I want to spend a bit more time talking about the rumors. And uh, so the, the honor falling phone was coming, we know this, and the big exciting news here is that it's gonna be available as a global model. So this is the first time you're gonna be able to buy a folding phone from somebody else than Samsung. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> did the Xiaomi, did the Xiaomi Mix Fold 2 make it to the UK? No. It didn't, right? No. Okay. The, the Xiaomi and the Oppo haven't. We we get the Huawei ones. Um, oh, you get the, the Huawei ones. we get, but. You know. But they're not they're not Google enabled. So basically, <laughs> yeah, exactly. until now, 
you haven't really been able to get a folding phone in a tablet form factor that was anything but a Samsung in the UK. And yep. for us, of course, we're not even getting Absolutely not. This, yeah. this honor. But the point is now we can at least import it to get maybe some 5G <laughs> yeah. support and some Google support, which I think is big news. So that's what's got me excited about it, folks. Like finally, we get a phone here that I like the original. I saw it at MWC. I mm. played with it. I thought it was really solid. And this looks like just an evolution of that, but it's coming to Europe. So you must be excited. This is big news for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think any any competition for Samsung is good news because Samsung has done a lot of good stuff with its folds. But certainly when you look at the Fold 4, it's hard to deny it. They're kind of resting on their laurels a little bit. Um, and I think it will be good for them to have competition in, in the global markets that they're in. And they've had a few years of not having to worry about that. So, you know, even things like that, the hinge mechanism and, and the fact that this closes entirely flat. Obviously, yeah. we've seen that from other manufacturers before. Honor isn't the first, but Samsung still doesn't do that. And exactly. finally, there'll be another phone out in Europe and in a lot of global markets where you can look at them and say, well, the Samsung one looks a little janky now by comparison, at least from that specific hardware side. So Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1, I was expecting a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, honestly, somehow with this one. I was a little surprised by that, especially because they waited until after Snapdragon's Qualcomm's announcement. I... To launch a phone this premium without the new chip, I feel like they should have put it out a week before Qualcomm got there, just to avoid having that that line of, well, it's kind of weird, you didn't use the new one. <laughs> uh, you know, 100%. there's all sorts of reasons it goes into this stuff, but yeah, I, I, I was expecting a Gen 2 to pop up. 7.9 inch, 90 hertz internal display, uh, that's pretty damn big. Um, yeah. And then a 6.45 external, 120 hertz display at 1080p. That's much brighter than the internal display, so that's good. You, if you're really in bright light, you can just use the outside screen for a long moment until you find some shade. Pretty smart. And not that the main screen is poor, 800 nits, but it's still, you know. Yeah, and I think it's telling of, of the way Honor are talking about this phone, right? That and uh, the refresh rate, you know, you said, but it's 120 hertz on the outer and 90 hertz on the inner. I think they're really pitching this as the outer screen as the main screen. This is a phone you use closed. And then it opens to a tablet when you want a tablet, but they're kind yeah. of pushing it, the closed experience first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's pretty hot looking. Um, I hope they make an orange one like they did last time. That was pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 54 megapixel main camera, 50 megapixel ultra wide, 8 megapixel telephoto with 3x optical, respectable. Mm -hmm. Uh, hopefully the cameras have OIS on something because I've noticed that Honor has been, I was really upset when the, the the Magic 4 Pro did not have OIS on the main sensor. You had to go to the ultimate and I was like, come on guys, seriously? It was the big downside of that phone for me, maybe. Certainly one of the big, I can't see any mention of OIS here, but I don't know. It was the same with, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, again, I've had, I had an entire conversation with the folks at Honor at, at, at IFA about this. We had a little, little gathering where they let us kind of like talk to them honestly about things. And, you know, it's like, there's still not enough delineation between Honor and Huawei. And, and mm -hmm. here's another example, the lack of OIS on this Magic 4 Pro earlier this year a year and a half ago, the Mate 40 Pro came out without OIS on the main sensor, and then they had OIS on the Pro Plus. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I 
gave them hell about it. And they were like, what is the big deal? And I'm like, this is not our P-series. I'm like, did you see the price of the phone? Like, this is, this is, this is, these are table stakes at the flagship level. Like, you, well, we can do just as well without. I'm like, first of all, you're lying because Mm -hmm. you can always have faster shutter speeds with OIS. Secondly, like, again, look at the price point of the Mate 40. It's a fantastic phone, but the Pro should have it OIS. And, and I don't know about the 50 this year. I didn't look at the Mate 50 Pro to see if they didn't put OIS on the main sensor because I just haven't followed. They just, it's just, they're on Optanium. Even as a, as a, you know, media person, I'm having a hard time. I managed to get a P50 Pro like three, four months after they announced it or something. <laughs> and it's a great phone. The imaging on that phone is unbelievably good. But it's just, it's a non-ish, it's, it's, an, it's a non-starter, right? Like you just no, can't, of course. you know. So anyway, so this is, a, I'm hoping they didn't, they didn't mess this up because, you know, they're only making one folding phone. There's no Pro Plus or anything here. Let's just give us the beans. So let's see if that's the case. A 5,000 milliamp hour battery, which is 66 watt charging. No wireless charging, I presume, which is on bummer. Yeah, I whatever. don't think so. Yeah. Uh, the Chinese phones, they are slowly starting to understand how wireless charging is a thing, but not <laughs> fast enough, in my opinion. Well, they either know. you either don't get it or you get 50 watt super fast wireless yeah, charging right, with a custom is... charger and an enormous coil and it takes up half <laughs> the phone's internal capacity or whatever. For sure. But the pricing on this is very competitive, like um, about yeah. 1,050 US dollars on the Chinese model. How much do you think this is going to sell in... In UK pounds, when it comes to your market, ooh, twelve hundred. I was gonna say twelve or thirteen. I think. I normally I'd look at that kind of yuan price and think twelve hundred ish. I do feel like because it's foldable, they might bump it up a little bit more and trust they can get away with because that still leaves them several hundred of wiggle room between them and Samsung. Yeah, and fundamentally, that's all they have to do, right? Is come in a bit cheaper than Samsung. And how and much is a Fold Four in the UK right now? Oh, I want to say sixteen hundred, maybe. Oh wow! I'm not sure wow. off the top of my head in pounds, huh? I can uh, I can find out, but it's that's it's certainly lot. in that kind of space. They're then they're expensive. Yeah. No, fourteen fifty. I lied. Fourteen fifty. Okay. Well, that's price. that's. Yeah, that's still a lot of money. Yeah, if they can come it's right below that, yeah. 1300 that'd be great for sure. Yeah. So we talked about a lot of BBK Group stuff. <laughs> Got automatic to squeeze themselves in there. Uh-huh. I, I'm very excited about this folding phone because Haya is going to be able to send me a review unit because she can justify <laughs> sending me a global phone. So yeah. because I really pestered her about the, the, the first, the V, Magic V, and now we have the VS, so I'm looking forward to it. But... BBK Group. So we talked about the Reno 9 and how the 9 Pro Plus is almost stepping on the toes of the Find X5 Pro. Now, you know, Find X5 Pro is old news now, but there's obviously rumors of a 6 Pro. And, you know, we're starting to see some leaks and stuff. What do you, what is your take on that? It looks like it might get that IMX 989 as a main sensor. Hooray to that. that that's exciting to me. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, funnily enough, one of the things I look at when I think about the Find X6 stuff is, in line with what we were talking about earlier, it feels a little bit like they are learning from what Vivo are doing. Because we've also heard rumors that across this line, we're going to see both the Dimensity 9200 and the, fi- and the uh, HN2. 
popping up in different models, probably the same thing where the 8 Gen 2 will be in, in the Pro and the top tier one. Uh, and as you said, the adoption of the one inch 989 sensor. So, and OIS at least those two elements a, feel like they're, yeah. Absolutely. And OIS on a supposedly 2.7x zoom, that's, that's a big improvement for them. Mm -hmm. um, it's a huge and jump. I welcome and they were so it. bullish last year that telephoto stuff. You know, it wasn't what no. consumers wanted. It's not what matters. It's don't, and you know, it's, you know, I'm glad they've recognized that. I think Maybe they learned their lesson people, with <laughs> the phones that came out this year, like nailing yeah. that. Yes, for sure. I'm curious to see if the this IMX989 will be paired with a combination of OIS and um, sensor shift stabilization, because that's one of the things on the Fine X5 Pro, at least the Snapdragon version, that was kind of bonkers they had a combination of in-body stabilization very few people talked about that but i felt that the stabilization on that phone like for photography was insanely good and mm -hmm. i want to see that again so i'm not sure this is such a large sensor that i'm just not sure they even have the room for that i don't so, quite know how you'd make it work but i hope they do <laughs> yeah <laughs> surprise us if i mean that's the one thing that you know i felt that the fine x5 pro it was in the details that uh, the the you know, it was really impressive, and uh, like you know the ceramic back and whatever. And I feel like if they can kind of wow us in that similar way, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, it's it's uh, looking pretty hot. That we don't know too much else for the folks. That's really all the news here. Is that you know, I nine eight nine nine eight nine. I'm very happy. I really mm -hmm. love how. Qualcomm even name dropped a 989 on stage last week at the summit as yeah. one of the targeted chips for the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. And that's instantly I knew at that point we're going to see a proliferation of it. And honestly, if I had to pick any sensor that I'd like to see proliferating, that's the one. Like for sure. I yeah. just really love how in the BBK part spin, the 766 became <laughs> such a baller of a sensor it's kind uh -huh. of feels like the, the 586 back in the day which ended up in everything everything <laughs> the fact that the 766 ended up in everything makes me just really happy because it's such a good sensor even yeah. if you don't have ois whatever it's such a good sensor and it's so well tuned now there's so many phones with it in the bbk empire that you cannot go wrong with any phone with that sensor on their any of their brands basically you know well that's i guess one of the perks of oppo's Pass spinning and everything like that is they are going to get more practice with every component right they're going to get more experience tuning for each sensor that they try and use and hopefully we'll see them pull even more out of the 989 than we have so far i mean it you know that straight out of the gate in the xiaomi 12s ultra that sensor did some amazing stuff with that main camera and that was pretty much phone one to use it at the time it felt like that sensor was the secret weapon that made you know gave that phone a leg up over the vivo over the pixel at the time for for certain elements of the photography so i'm very very keen to see that roll out in more in more phones across more brands and see everyone rolling out these like this huge sense of absolutely enormous and see what people can do with it yeah and the more that sensor makes it in phones the more the price is going to become reasonable exactly. and the more we're likely to see it on some realme phone next year or something <laughs> exactly, yeah like 300 euro real me with a one inch camera sensors. <laughs> exactly. You just can't go wrong at that point, which is kind of what I feel so happy about. Yeah. So this is, this is great news, honestly. Um, there's also some OnePlus rumors floating around and, uh, 
You know, what do you make of that? Like, I, I OnePlus 11, you wrote about it. I'll, I, I will put the, the link to your story in there. So tell us a little more about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we know a bit more about the OnePlus 11 than we do about the Find X6 series. Uh, the funny one we've got here is even just the naming stuff looks like it's changing. Uh, everything we've heard seems to be that it will be the OnePlus 11, not the OnePlus 11 Pro, but that it will still only be one phone and that that phone will be a pro-level OnePlus phone. Interesting. So it Why will do you be a successor going... to the 10 Pro, but without the Pro name is what we're hearing from a lot of people. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, I I can see the, the one argument, which is that it, it was always a bit funny to have a OnePlus 10 Pro with no 10. You know, like the Pro version of what? It doesn't make any sense on some level. But on the other hand, if you're going to put it out without the Pro moniker and charge a thousand bucks and, you know, the, the head at that price point, especially people who know the brand a bit might see it and think, well, it can't be that good. It's not the Pro model or, or they'll wait for the Pro model or, or something like that. So branding wise, I don't know where they're going other than a simplification, which is welcome if they are just trying to simplify and clean up the naming because it's gotten a bit messy. The fact that we had a 10 series where there was no 10 tells you something's gone wrong in their in their branding. But I don't know if this is the fix to that. Basically, it's looking a lot like some of the stuff we've heard about the Find X6 Pro. Um, some of the camera specs we've heard have been pretty similar. There's, again, this sort of suggestion that we're just seeing a lot of cross-pollination between these two. So I we've also heard it will have a 50 megapixel main camera. I would not be surprised if that turns out to be an IMAX 989. We haven't seen that reported by anyone yet but uh, you know i'd be I'll, I'll go stronger maybe i'd be shocked if it wasn't the imx 989 at this point yeah that would honestly be pretty awesome like i'd be disappointed if we didn't see yeah. them at least match the fine x series here right and that's exactly right and so. that seems to be what we're hearing everywhere across the board snapdragon 8, 8 yeah snapdragon 8 gen 2 obviously no surprise there yeah maybe the biggest change that we've heard about this week for the first time is that they might be moving to a ceramic back, which, as you've said, is what we've seen on the Oppo phones and is a really great piece of Oppo's design on its, yeah. on its premium ones. And we've not seen OnePlus use that, I don't think. I mean, it's really nice, right? Like, I'm not yeah. going to complain. The hand but, feel of a ceramic uh, phone. Great. Love oh, it. man. So hot. So hot for sure. Yeah, so I don't know. I think I'm excited. I'm I'm kind of rooting for OnePlus. I'm hoping that they can give us something that really uniquely fits, you know, kind of like the markets of North America and Europe mm -hmm. and the, specifically, I think, the UK market, you know, something that really kind of stands against, well, against the Samsungs and iPhones of the world where we can say, okay, look, this is a competitive flagship from OnePlus because the, the 10 Pro, you know, we only got the kind of cheaper model um, and it was not that cheap. Like I understand mm -hmm. inflation, the supply issues has been an issue, but when you see what some of the competition is doing, what Realme is doing, what, you know, even Samsung's able to do, I kind of feel like that the BBK group has enough resources to pull it off and give us something from OnePlus that can stand head to head. Now I know they're worried to step on Oppo's toes, but they're not really because to me the Fine X series has always been a high-end premium phone. Like yeah. you don't 
you know, yes, spec-wise, it competes with the S22 and the iPhone, but price-wise, it's always kind of had its own little universe. And you don't buy that phone because you're trying to be more, you know, get the best bang for your buck like you do on a OnePlus. You buy that phone because, well, it's super cool and different, and you're still mm -hmm. getting a superb experience with superb build quality materials and specs, right? Yeah. So to me, I kind of want to see the OnePlus become the, the, the phone that really comes head on with what we accept to be flagships here, right? So let's see if they do that. <laughs> yeah, that's the bit I'm not sure we're going to see. I mean, you know, because as we were saying earlier, the OnePlus phone we want is probably a bit cheaper than the OnePlus phone they're going to make. And a ceramic OnePlus flagship sounds great, but the moment you say it's going to be ceramic, I say, oh, so it's going to be over $1,000, right? And then, <laughs> for sure. then suddenly it's just in that same space, the Oppo's in, and, and it's not you know, not going down to fight the mainstream Samsung flagship. So I worry this is going to come out and be very close to the Find X6 Pro. And yeah, that's going to be the downside, maybe. It definitely might be, um, it might be a miss again. I mean, let's hope not. I'm, I'm seeing positive, you know, I hope they saw the feedback that they got and that they deliver something that I can be excited about. I thought the 10T was really great. I yep. felt that I wish I hadn't cut the uh, slider alert slider yeah out. that's sad. i wish you know i wish i had wireless charging for this market it was pretty critical but everything else about it i was i thought it was really well-rounded you know and it, maybe they should have marketed it as a gaming phone because honestly it was kind of like a gaming phone there's nothing wrong with that i know that they already had the 10 pro anyway as a flagship so that would have been a good marketing exercise but i don't know why they didn't do that so yeah, they just do this we'll vague see. flagship phone, performance phone, but performance is a little a little broad. <laughs> I, sure. I don't know who a performance phone is for. <laughs> yeah, I think gaming would have just made more sense because, you know, yeah. you don't necessarily need the trigger buttons to make a good gaming phone, in my opinion. You know? No, exactly. Yeah. A lot of games don't support the triggers is what the I The triggers, yeah. yeah. So we should wrap up. Dom, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, your social media handles, and you know, tell us about where you write and all that stuff? Yeah, of course. So main place on my social media is Twitter. I'm at Dom Preston, so you can find me there. Um, I am the deputy editor at Tech Advisor. So if you head to techadvisor.com, you can find everything we're putting out. We are fun-focused site. We're based in the UK editorially, but actually we cover the global market and we cover US stuff and we cover everything everywhere, really. Uh, and we're also on YouTube. Again, tech advisor. So you can find me uh, spouting rubbish on video every now and then. Are you on Instagram by any chance? I am. I am Dominic Dot Preston. I think on Instagram, <laughs> though it's mostly photos from my holidays and not a whole lot of tech yeah, on there. Right? Yeah. No, I get it. So yeah, folks, check all this stuff out. If you want to chat with me and Dom about this podcast, I'm at Tankerl on Twitter and on Instagram. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Think of Tankerl, the comic book. Just drop all the vowels. That's how you'll remember. So yeah, chat with us on Twitter about this podcast, questions, comments, and then uh, check out my Instagram for pretty pictures of phones, cars, food, travel, all taken with phones. I always tag what phone I use, so check that out. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. So subscribe, tell your friends, use your app to rate and review the show if you can. That would really help. 
There's a couple of YouTube channels for the podcast that uh, have some unboxing videos and other additional content. YouTube.com slash mobile tech podcast is all about the phones and the wearables and personal audio. And we have mobile tech more, which is a channel about the rest of the stuff. So, you know, car tech, home automation, travel tech, all that good stuff. You know how YouTube works. So like, subscribe all that good stuff, the little bell button. Comment, actually, because uh, sometimes people comment about the podcast on the comments of the YouTube channel, and I'm happy to have a conversation with you there. The other thing I want to point out, uh, if you want extra content and you want something a little special, there's a Patreon that you should uh, consider, especially if you want to help me out financially to get this podcast out every week. Patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. There is a video version of the show where you get to see me and Dom chatting. And this is basically coming out a little ahead of the audio public version. So if you want to see the show on video, sometimes there's a little bit additional content because I don't edit it as much and get it a little ahead of time. Check out the Patreon. There's a tier for that. There's a tier for the Discord server you can join to chat with me and a bunch of other perks there. So please consider helping out. I'd appreciate your support. And if you can't use, uh, Patreon, for some reason, there's a PayPal link in the show notes. You can click there and make a $5 donation for my coffee habit or whatever. <laughs> that would be awesome. And I want to thank MediaTek for being our sponsor yet again. MediaTek is the number one Wi-Fi supplier across broadband, retail routers, consumer electronics devices, and gaming, and is one of the first adopters of Wi-Fi 7. MediaTek's Wi-Fi 7 technology can fulfill the current needs for all the applications consumers enjoy today. Thanks again to MediaTek for being our sponsor this week. And of course, I also want to thank you, Dom, for being my guest this week. Thanks so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. We'll have you on at some point in the future. And folks, you know we'll have a show next week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. Cheers. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.